Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and curious play of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our reactions to the NBA Conference Finals. But, of course, we could not do this episode alone. We have a first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast. So, from the Around the League Podcast, please welcome Jake and Dara. Thank you guys for having me, man. Thank you for coming on, Jake. So, first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, uh, sounds kind of cliche, but big hoops guy. Just watch, been watching the playoffs, man. It's really intrigued me, you know. Obviously, you don't want to see all the injuries going on, man, but it's good to see new faces, new teams in, in the, uh, down the stretch here in the, uh, going in the finals now. One, you know, side has the conference finals, but, uh, yeah, as far as the pod, man, I've uh, been doing it with one of my best friends uh, since November 2019. Uh, kind of hit like a peak during quarantine, was just grinding it, trying to get guests, and uh, been doing it ever since. So, you know, we're just keep plugging away. And you mentioned these injuries, and I think we should definitely touch on these injuries real quick. So, Jake, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts on the injuries overall in the playoffs? Yeah, they've definitely uh, hindered a lot of the talent that we wanted to see. Uh, I think, like, I saw a stat that was, like, 11 All-Stars, I think, mm-hmm. having, have gone down with something. I don't know if you guys could probably back that up. I'm not sure if that's at all correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been uh, definitely something that you never want to see, like I said before. But uh, it's cool to just see, like, who would have thought that Trey Young would be making, you know, such a statement in these playoffs uh, he's not the first one to make the finals from that draft clause. It's, it's Aiton, but, uh, but yeah, like Devin Booker, you've seen like the ascension of him. I didn't think he was going to be this good, but you see like the impact that Chris Paul has had on him and DeAndre. And so, um, I think, look, I mean, it, it is what it is. People are going to say, you, you know, the injuries, this, the injuries that, but it's, it's part of basketball, not this much, but it, but it is part of basketball. So. Uh, you got to make do with with the team that's in front of you, and and we're down to three teams left now. Jalen, I'll let you continue on with that point because a lot of great points. Eleven All Stars were injured, so same question to you, Jalen. What are your thoughts on the injuries so far in the playoffs? Yeah, man, nine, ten, and eleven. Nine, ten, and eleven were Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Trey Young. That is nuts. Like we're talking about two guys that were like one is coming off of two MVPs back-to-back. Another guy in Kawhi Leonard has been discussed as the best player in the world for, like, the last two years. And Trey Young is a guy who's basically been, like, the darling of the NBA for, like, two months, probably, maybe a little bit longer with the fact that the playoffs um, feel so much longer than a couple of weeks have passed. So I think the biggest thing for me, though, right, is everybody, you know, last year it was the Mickey Mouse ring, right? This year it's, like, me and my friend were talking about it and we're just calling it like the war of attrition bro like i think that's just the reality of it like this is a weird a weird year next year is going to be even more weird because there's a bunch of guys that are going to be competing in the olympics that are coming off of some of these playoff teams and they're trying to get the nba season started back up to normal which means it's jumping right back in in october which is great for guys like us who do this because you know that means we won't be without basketball for too long but in terms of their circumstances, it affects a lot of teams. 
So the one thing I'll take from it from a positive standpoint is something that Jake mentioned beforehand is seeing new faces on the rise. I think that um so there's something that I was looking at uh the other day and I want to get you guys both of you guys' takes on this. At the end of the day, the NBA is an entertainment business, right? Do y'all know about the Netflix third season effect? You know, the thing where, like, when you watch a Netflix TV show, the first season is, like, peak content. The second season is, like, oh, that's so great that they decided to run this back. And by the third season, you're like, this thing not, this thing got to go. This, this, what are y'all, why are y'all still doing this? I think the NBA is the same thing. The NBA is in a very similar setup in terms of, think about it. The last, up until, like, what, the last two years, it was braun versus x for almost a decade of our lives what like that is something that would that'll drive you crazy like especially if you're a fan of a team that doesn't have braun on it that means you already kind of feel like your team is out of it before the year started i think that genuinely these injuries although it's not great for the league if you're looking more to like next year i think in terms of putting the league in a different spotlight in terms of showing some of these next up guys this couldn't have been a better situation for them in terms of, I mean, one of the things that Zach Lowe has said a lot over the last two weeks, uh, Zach Lowe and Sam, Sam Vecini on their podcast is if you can't make a superstar out of Trey Young, you messed it up. You just, you, you flat out messed up. He's a character while also being like a top elite point guard in this league. So, uh, I want to get you guys' take on the idea of like the, the newer, fresher NBA actually being like beneficial despite the fact that it may have came at a cost ryan how do you how do you feel about that bro because i i thought that was interesting that was a really like positive way to look at it despite the fact that like we've heard the word we've heard the letters acl and mcl way too often for like the last month and a half so if there's any positive takeaways i could take away from the injuries it would be that we see new teams on the rise we don't see a LeBron-led team making the finals. We don't see a Steph Curry-led team making the finals. We don't see a KD-led team making the finals. So that's it's beneficial to an extent. Obviously, you want to see LeBron, you want to see Curry, you want to see KD because these are big marquee guys in the NBA. But we're watching guys like Trey Young and Devin Booker and Giannis and Bogdan Bogdanovich, some of these younger guys make their name in the playoffs while seeing other guys like Chris Paul have a chance to get their first ring this year. So I think that's very impressive. Like I said, I think that's really the only positive takeaway. It saddens me that we don't see a LeBron or a KD or a Steph in a finals because it's more or less we are trying to appreciate greatness while it's still here because those three are great players. But seeing this new rise gives me hope that the NBA has a bright future. Jake, I mean, same thing, bro. Like, is there a certain kind of, like, positivity that you take from the fact that these injuries have given us this chance? Or is it like, hey, man, but that's Braun at the end of the day? Yeah, I was going to bring up uh, roster construction and how, like, you see all these teams now, like, specifically, and I I take away a good point that I heard, uh, I don't know from – from someone, but I'll, I'll give him credit uh, just in, in saying it anonymously here. But uh, the job that like Atlanta's done with like building around Trey Young, like it's something with if you look at like Luka Doncic, like they're struggling to do now, and like they, it's it's pretty questionable if they can get that done. 
Uh, you look at like Memphis too with what they've done around John Morant, although they like weren't able to, to break through in the, in the, uh, in the first round against the Jazz with how deep they are. And that's another team that's, that's great with roster construction. And I thought they were the deepest team. I actually thought they might have, uh, came out of the Western Conference this year, but, uh, seeing like Atlanta with just how like deep they are, like I think they're criminally underrated. Uh, and you see that like so far in these playoffs and, and they might be title bound with just how the, how the pieces have really fallen with, with the Eastern Conference and with, uh, these playoffs in general. So like even seeing like the job that James Jones has done with the Suns, like that's like my biggest takeaway is like seeing like how the, you know, the fate has really, uh, you know, come down on the league and, and seeing like all these teams, like what they're really made of. And that's something you could take away from like the Clippers and their run. So I mean, you can go on and on about all these different teams, but that's something I, that I've taken away. Just it's, it's good to see like just how deep these teams really are. That was the most important thing that I reiterated going into the playoffs was depth, especially with how many injuries mm-hmm. that have occurred this season and in the playoffs. I think the team that was the most durable would go the farthest in the playoffs. And we see that with the Hawks and the Bucks. They were two of the most durable teams. But their star players are out with injuries. And we're going to get to that right now. We're going to talk about three players in this in the playoffs right now. All of them made it to the conference finals with their respective teams. First, we're going to talk about Trey Young. And, Jalen, I want to start with you because the Atlanta Hawks are your team, and I want to get your perspective after what we saw with Game 4. How does Trey Young's injury affect the Hawks going forward? Bro, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like the tricky part about this is that it was tit-for-tat superstar for superstar in terms of talking about Milwaukee also losing Giannis. Obviously, we're going to get to that, too. But I think that because of losing Giannis, their physicality is gone. And I think that's the one thing that made them scary to me when I was talking about going up against them entering this series was that we have them on the perimeter in terms of having elite perimeter play. Drew Holiday can't cover every uh, can't cover everybody. PJ Tucker can't guard everybody. But you take Giannis Antetokounmpo out of it. Brooke Lopez loves floating behind a three point line. Remember, this is a guy who was once upon a time discussed as one of the best centers as a post guy back when he was playing with uh, the Nets. Now. He's a perimeter three-point shooter that's named Splash Mountain by most. That's not somebody I'm really worried about if I'm the Atlanta Hawks having guys like John Collins and Clint Capella down there. Even Onyeka Okongwu was giving us pretty good minutes. So I think the biggest thing for this now is that it's making the guys that, that are in our guard positions right now have to play an even larger role. We saw Lou Williams kill the other day and boy he's probably feeling great right now he gets to keep his lemon pepper Lou thing going while also possibly going to the finals while watching his other team that shipped him out fall out to the suns so i think that was huge bogey uh bogdanovich finally had a a a solid game this postseason because we man i'm telling you that hamstring was bugging him i mean there's no way around it it was really it was really getting to him and we did not see him hoop we got our boy Cam Reddish back. And I thought that he wasn't going to play in this series because something that I found out and I didn't even realize was that Nick McMillan has not coached Cam Reddish. Since he got into that interim role, Cam Reddish was never on the floor. So for Cam Reddish to step in and play 23 minutes, get 12 points and five boards, I think that was huge. That boy Kevin Herter, 
shout out to the land shout out to to umd bro he he came in clutch for us for the one time too uh between you know this series and last series so i think the big thing now is you know i've named all of these guards that have really had to step up in trey young's absence granted not that long but the fact that the depth is even there bro oh my gosh the fact that the depth is even there if i'm naming the bucks guards let's do it like this they got chris middleton playing basically point guard right now because drew holiday's better as an off guard and then after that i'm looking at bren forms forbes and i guess i guess the next set of per the next set of people they're handing minutes to after that is jordan the war question mark like okay i feel pretty confident about that so i think trey young's injury along with Giannis being injured just made us the better team and we're definitely going to talk about players like lou williams and bogdan bogdanovich and cam reddish when we get to the hawks bucks series but jake i want to get your perspective on this because trey young was a very important player to the hawks but he was also a player that people kept their eyes on in the playoffs. He was definitely embracing that villain role that he took on when he was facing the Knicks. So how do you feel about Trey's injury and how it affects the Hawks? Yeah, well, it's it's based off a small sample size, right? Like, it's only been one game. So, I mean, I didn't expect him to come out like that. But then again, it is the Bucks. You don't know what you're getting on a, on, on a night-to-night basis from – from top to bottom, like whether it be the coach or, I mean, I really think, yeah, I know, I know I'm kind of going off a little bit here. Uh, but as far as like the Bucks, I think their most consistent guys, Ben Giannis, and now taking that out, like who do you have as your next consistent? Cause like Drew Holiday hasn't been that consistent in these playoffs. Middleton, one of the most inconsistent guys in these playoffs. I mean, I, I think it goes without saying. Uh, and so like, who do you look at? Like Bobby Portis maybe is a consistent guy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's been, he's been like the most, he has. I mean, look, I, I mean, given his, role, given his role, I mean, I don't know if I'm right on that, but I think given his role, like, you know what you're going to get from him, whatever, uh, energy and like close to 10 points, whatever it may be, he can get you a bucket every now and then. Uh, but as far as Trey, man, that's, that's, it's huge for the, for the, uh, the Hawks. I think he's coming back this game, I would say. Because he's been uh, listed as questionable, so there's a, there's a chance. Um, but man, it just goes to show you. I mean, I, I talked about it uh, just a little while ago about how deep this Atlanta Hawks team is. Uh, you put Lou Williams in there. I think he got like close to 20 points, I believe, in that that uh in that last game. And so uh, you know, really, just he doesn't have the same impact, obviously, that Trey has. But like, still, like he has a great connection with like a Kongwu with uh, Capella in the pick and roll. Uh, and you see, like, you know, the the depth, especially at that guard position, too, uh, even with uh, Bogdanovich uh, struggling through much of the playoffs because of the hamstring, like you said, Jalen. Uh, I think that even, like, Kevin Herter, like, you guys got some swaggy dudes, bro. <laughs> like, like, Red Velvet, man, you got Lou Williams, like, coming in, and, and he's been in these moments before, so you know what you get out of him. You got uh, Trey Young with arguably the uh, – the the best nickname in the league and the the, the swaggiest celebration arguably so I mean yeah you guys you guys got to roll in I I would not be surprised if if the Hawks uh pull out this series because I just don't know like the Bucks offense is just really weird without yeah I mean yeah without Giannis it's just like with Giannis it's even weird because like Bud doesn't really know how to use it to be honest but um 
you know, using him as, as like a screener, I think like is, is super helpful and taking him out now. Like, what do you do? Like they were just kind of playing like bailout basketball without him. I mean, you, you just, you go to like Middleton and honestly, like it was a, the polar opposite from like game three, like game three, it was going off in the second half. Then you look at game four and he's cold. Uh, so I would venture to say maybe he has one game like that. I would bet on the Bucks. I mean, the Hawks in this next game, even though it's in Milwaukee, I think without Giannis, that's, it's going to be tough, but, uh, I would say like the Bucks win one of these games and Hawks will win in seven if Giannis doesn't come back, but we'll have to see, man. It'll be interesting. And Jake, you, you brought up a lot of the points that I was thinking because again, after watching game four, there's that level of concern of how this team is going to play without Giannis going forward. Now, he has a hyperextended knee, and there is no structural damage, so it looks like he may not may not be out for long. But this is a huge loss nonetheless. And, Jalen, I want to I allow you to retort to some of Jake's points about Giannis because this puts the Bucks in a situation where there's a chance they may not be able to win Game 5 if Giannis doesn't play. So what is your feeling on Giannis's injury overall and how it affects the Bucks as a whole? So I'm going to retort to something that Jake said, and I think it's funny. Okay, so the reason why I laughed when you mentioned Bobby Portis is because you're right. But the thing that's messed up about that is if Trey Young comes back, Trey Young has been bullying him the entire series. That's that's kind of the trade-off, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, even look at the game where he got uh, this last game, 21 minutes, 7-7. Seven and seven. Like, okay, Bobby Portis with a cool, like, 10-piece, you give me a couple of boards, I'm not mad at that. Like, that's respectable in that circumstance. He was, I think he was tied for second. Um, Yeah, I think he was tied for second on rebound-wise in the game. Granted, Giannis had eight boards in 24 minutes, so I guess, you know, like, you know, his gang rebounding all over the place. But at the same time, like, he's been getting murdered in pick and roll, like murdered for the entire series. And people have been trying to get him off the floor in most of these situations. Remember, that's where the first shimmy took place, was in a situation where he was supposed to be the help defender coming off of Drew's pick, uh, Drew getting picked, and so on and so forth. So the thing with that is if Trey comes back and that's who I'm worried about, well, I mean, shoot, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Now, if Trey does it, say we say we hold off for whatever reason, I still think we're in a circumstance to be at a steal. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, Jake, you said it beforehand, Chris Middleton is mad inconsistent. I know he's an all-star. I mess with Chris Middleton. I think he, him and Drew Holiday fall into that like super underrated category. Ryan already knows how I feel about Drew Holiday. Jake, if you haven't listened to this podcast enough, I probably said Drew Holiday's name enough times to the point that I should get an endorsement because I preach about this man way too often but but are you going to ask him to run your offense in a in in a get and basically not a series clinching but this is the difference between winning the series and losing the series I think because if you lose this series say Giannis doesn't play next game and you lose this next game you're forcing Giannis to come back off of injury and play even harder than he's already expected he's already expected to play at an mvp caliber level out of the mere fact that a he's a two-time mvp b this is supposed to be his shot to the finals and then c you're about to get eliminated 
<laughs> if if they drop this next game and go down three two. So I think the big thing for this is now the pressure's all on them. And I haven't seen any of these guys really play up to that level at all to the point that I feel any kind of confidence in them. I, I you could say maybe the same thing about Giannis. Giannis has a handful of airballed free throws that are probably indicate such. But like at the same time, that was somebody that you could pencil in thirty points for nightly. I'm look. Let's look at the let's look at the scores. Eighty eight to one ten. You take away thirty points. I don't know, bro. I don't know. I, I, that's just kind of hard to offset in terms of talking about how they run their offense. So I think Giannis being gone. I think Giannis being gone. You gave him a better chance than me. I think Giannis being gone. If he misses the full rest of this series, I think they 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 get this job done in six games. I had I had Atlanta in seven games prior to the series starting. Full disclosure, but like if Giannis is out, like at that point we we're full throttled. I think. And it was just interesting because when I made that prediction for Hawks and six, everyone was shocked on that podcast on that episode and. Now it seems like it may or may not come to fruition because with Giannis being out, this Bucks team is struggling offensively without him. And I think if the Bucks were to play like how they did in game four and game five tonight, I think there's a great chance that we may see a Suns-Hawks NBA Finals matchup. I want to transition to the next injury that we're going to talk about, Kawhi Leonard and his ACL injury. And This was a huge blow to a Clippers team that already had high expectations coming into the season, considering what happened last year in the playoffs. They make the Western Conference Finals this year without him on the backs of PG and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris. We're going to talk about all those guys later when we talk about the series with the Clippers and the Suns. But let's just focus on Kawhi Leonard's injury right now. Jake, I will start with you. How did Kawhi's injury affect the Clippers in this series? Well, it definitely impacted them. I don't think it impacted them to the extent that people thought um, because you had Paul George in which, I mean, he was on, I mean, even from the beginning of the season, people were like revenge tour. And I think he had one, I think his opening night game was went crazy. So people were like, Oh, this guy's on, on one, you know, and it kind of, it kind of stuck, but this guy has like one bad game and, and NBA Twitter goes, goes insane. So yeah, you already know about that, but the same, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Paul George, uh, had his signature 41 point game the other night. Um, he had, there were some low points, but I mean, to, to come out, especially that what was a game five, game five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to, to shoot like that efficiently too on that 41 was, was pretty remarkable in that second half as well. Um, but I, I think that like you look at this Clippers team and yeah, Kawhi does like, I think it goes without saying, I mean, you lose your best player, uh, you're going to be pretty, uh, you know, you're not going to be favored to win every single, every single series from then on out. Um, but to rally back and to see like how they were able to, I mean, and we're talking about like guys that weren't even like in the league, like Reggie Jackson was uh, a buyout from the Pistons and like he was looking for an NBA team. Paul George says, you know, come over, bro. And, and then you have DeMarcus Cousins who, was, I mean, made a pretty big impact, um, for, you know, the role that he was given. 
because uh, they, I mean, they went ultra small ball, and then they they just throw him out there, and he he ends up giving them good minutes um, in this series. Uh, and then you have Terrence Mann, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, he gave them really impactful minutes. Uh, just everyone playing their role and 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 sort of by committee trying to like make up the impact or make up the the um the role that Kawhi Leonard I guess would play. I mean I know it sounds like a lot to say just because Kawhi Leonard is is uh the defensive monster that he is and, and can go get you a bucket. But um I will say this I think Marcus Morris could have been better. Uh he had the past two games he did he did pretty well. Um, but outside of that, man, like he was for being one of their best three point shooters, uh, if not the best three point shooter and, and one of the best in the league. And then coming into the playoffs, like really struggling from series to series. Uh, and he was the guy that like last season, like they brought in as sort of like insurance to like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And for him not really to show up in, in that, in those moments, I mean, besides those two games, I think he could have been better, but, uh, just seeing like, these, you know, situation that the Clippers were in and for them to fight back. I mean, they took down one of the best defenses in the league in the Utah Jazz, like tore them apart. And that has a lot to do with Ty Lue. But, uh, yeah, you see Ty Lue and then you see Doc Rivers and it's, it's, the season is a little, it's, it's, a it's two separate ends of the spectrum in, in terms of like where they ended up. But yeah, uh, I think like, all in all, I think that the Clippers, like given, what they had in front of them, I think they did a pretty damn good job. I just want to point out something that Jake said with Marcus Morris. In the first four games, it's interesting. Game one, he had six points on three of 11 shooting. Game two, he had seven points on three of 11 shooting. Game three, he had eight points on two of four shooting. Game four, he had four points on two of eight shooting. And then he had back-to-back 20-point games in game five and game six. So he definitely could have been a factor early on in the series, but Definitely stepped up in those last two games. But you mentioned Ty Lue and Doc Rivers. We're going to get to those those two guys later because I think the difference in terms of coaching is vastly different if you look at how Ty Lue coached this team compared to how Doc Rivers coached this team. But going back to Kawhi Leonard and Jalen, I want to move to you on this one. How do you feel about Kawhi's injury and how it affected the Clippers? All right, so we're going to go positives first, negatives next. So positives to Kawhi Leonard going down was it made PG step up to what he proclaimed himself to be. If the idea is that playoff P has to win the chip in order to be able to, like, signify himself as that rather than just, you know, simply performing in the playoffs, then you're holding this man to a standard that's kind of difficult to to uphold regardless of what kind of superstar you are right um i do understand the slander that takes place lebron got a lot of flack for naming himself the chosen one so if he can name himself the chosen one and get all of that you naming yourself playoff p aka the postseason presence then you got to show up in those moments and that's the circumstance that you have to play up to and he he did that for a majority of this postseason the back end of the utah series like jake mentioned beforehand and definitely in terms of going up against the Suns at the end of the day, bro, they had wings for days. They are built like every NBA team wants to be built in terms of having three and D wings all over the place with superstar guards and a guy at the center position that can go crazy when time is asked for. And that's what DeAndre Ayton's been for the Suns. 
So I think that's the first thing is PG. I think the second thing is obviously revitalizing the careers of like the, uh, some of these cast offs, like Jake mentioned too. LA in a weird way, you know, they treated themselves like the island of misfit toys, but like then when you really go down their roster, like they really fall into that category, right? Marcus Morris got bought out with the Knicks. Reggie Jackson, you mentioned with the Pistons. You talk about the idea of Pat Bev. Pat Bev is a dude who like low key, like you kind of always want your team and never on the other team, regardless of how you might feel about him. You know what I mean? Even PG was a guy who went from being a top three MVP candidate with OKC to being like the ultimate villain after like getting after like getting himself up out of there. So like when you look at the circumstances, like it's a lot of guys who like really got right. You know what I mean? Like just through that circumstance, even Terrence Mann, there's like the infamous story about him being the guy who like just barely made like the NBA draft combine cut, gets a call, gets a phone call with one percent on his phone, takes it, finds out that he made it, turns right around, ends up making an NBA roster. And he's made the most of it to the point that he on the map now. He's a dude that's legitimately on the radar for that Clippers team. So. I think that's huge, too. And then, I mean, the biggest thing is historically, right? Regardless of win, lose, or draw, historically, the Clippers did something that no other iteration of the Clippers has been able to do. We've seen CP3 with Blake Griffin. We've seen... The, do you guys, I mean, this was still like, there was still circumstances with them, but let's think about the players who have gone through the Clippers that could not make what happened happen. Jamal Crawford. OC uh, guard in the league used to be one of the best six men in the league DeAndre Jordan doesn't look super great right now but back then he's known by the dude he's known as the guy who killed Brandon Knight on live television like you look at the circumstance back when Blake Griffin was a like a top five power forward level guy CP obviously Josh Smith once upon a time Lamar Odom like there are guys who have like legitimately come through that franchise and couldn't be that dude to turn them around, and it put them in a position with a with a, uh, a group of castoffs, essentially, I guess, outside of I guess maybe PG, depending on how you feel about them, to lead them to their first conference finals in 50 years. Like historically, that's gonna reflect well. Negatives. At the end of the day, man, that's a, that's a player. <laughs> you lose Kawhi Leonard, bro. You're losing a bucket, like. And he's a guy where well, you got to go tit for tat with a guy like like Devin Booker, for example. You got to have that dude with you. You got to have that dude to ride with you. That's going to be able to come down the stretch and be a guy you can turn to on a regular basis, draw plays up for and know that he's going to be able to get you through it. And PG is kind of that guy. But Kawhi Leonard is that dude. The second thing is, I'm kind of glad that we have a Miami Heat fan on the podcast because I was going to make this statement whether he came on or not. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to Miami, bro. I'm going to keep it a full stack with you. I was looking at their cap stuff lately. Um, there's been a lot of discuss- discussions about Kyle Lowry in terms of his fit in a circumstance with Miami, with the fact that they're about to have a lot of open space come up with the fact that they can let Duncan Robinson and um, and others go. There's a handful of guys actually on their roster that they either side for one-year deals or are going to be due soon. You mean to tell me that Kawhi Leonard is out there in the streets and you're worried about Kyle Lowry when once upon a time, we all remember when all this earth shattering stuff took place when they picked up, when L.A. picked up PG, there was all that rumory stuff going around that Kawhi wanted Jimmy off top and it was Jimmy who wanted to go to Miami. 
do I think it's set in stone? I'm not Kawhi's agent. That's his that's his pop's job. I ain't gonna mess with that part of things. But at the same time, you look at the circumstances, I've heard a lot of stuff in terms of reading reports that say that Kawhi Leonard once again has beef with a medical staff. We saw that that led him to leave San Antonio, so I, you can't put nothing past him in that circumstance. And Miami has one of the, the best physical training regiments in the league. If I'm not mistaken, you guys are the only ones in the entire NBA that have like a body fat threshold that has to be met by every player. Like what? Like, okay, so that's that's a team that's going to keep him right. So I think the weird thing about it is that this team didn't ever get the chance to see Kawhi Leonard in a big game. And now that there's all these other underlying factors, I think there's a chance that we'll never be able to figure it out is basically what I'm saying. Whether he goes to Miami or goes somewhere else, I think there's a possibility that we might never be able to figure out whether or not he's going to act, whether or not he would actually be the savior of L.A. in terms of the Clippers. So you mentioned a couple of players when you were talking about how they couldn't do what this Clippers squad could do, which was make mm-hmm. the conference finals. Let me name three more players. Elton Brand, Corey Maggette, Sam Cassell. From that 2006 Western Conference semifinals team, mm-hmm. if they did not run into Steve Nash, they probably would have made it to the conference finals. But nonetheless, you make an interesting point here with Kawhi Leonard, and I don't think I can let this one slide. So, <laughs> okay, okay. So listen. This is an interesting situation that Kawhi is in right now. He is most likely a free agent, or he is a free agent. But the Clippers put themselves in a pretty convincing space where Kawhi most likely has a reason to go back there, considering the Clippers just went to the Western Conference Finals without him. And you can make the argument that this team was better than last year's team that had two six-man-of-the-year winners on there. So, Jake, I will start with you. Is this convincing enough for Kawhi Leonard to say, or as the Miami fan, is there a chance he goes to Miami? I, I'm on the, the line, I'm teetering on the line of being a skeptic and being optimistic uh, because, yeah, I mean, I want to be optimistic. Uh, this is what us Heat fans do. I don't think you guys are Knicks fans, but Knicks fans also do the same stuff. Yeah, you guys do the same thing uh, every single offseason. It, it works. It, it more of a uh, it, it works more often for us. The success rate is maybe a little bit higher. Not to throw you guys under the bus, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just goes without saying. But as far as Kawhi goes, um, is this enough to convince him to stay? I think so. I mean, like, how many? Like, let me put this in perspective. Like, if Ty Lue were just out there in terms of like these coaching vacancies, like how many teams want him? I think like a good amount because the guy is like, he made the, the proper adjustments when, when he, when it was called for him to do so. Uh, and then you look at, like I said before, like the energy of this team was, was unmatched. I mean, even with Kawhi, I mean, they, they battled back from two Oh series lead and two consecutive series and then gave a good fight to, so, of course, with the injuries or whatever, the Suns were labeled as, like, title favorites now. Um, but still, like, gave a good Suns team, like, a run for their money. And, uh, you know, I see Kawhi Leonard. 
here's the thing too is like I don't know if like Steve Steve Ballmer and Ty Lue and all these guys up there in the um in the Clippers office like with everything they gave up to get Kawhi and PG on the same team like I don't think there's I think there's going to be a lot of convincing there to to make him stay because of the run that they had and then they're really not going to have any assets available if he leaves so they got to do everything in their power to make sure that he stays uh, you know, get him whatever the hell. I still didn't understand why the hell he was he was in the suite instead of uh down with his team when he was hurt. That didn't make any sense for me. And then Mike Breen had that thing where he was on like Kawhi Leonard's going crazy. <laughs> I think but, that but, too. Man, like I, I don't know. Like I, I remain uh optimistic, but at the same time I'm more uh skeptic. I'm more of a skeptic just because like I don't want to like. You mentioned with like our contract situation, Jalen, and like I don't know, I, I don't really want to like put all my eggs in one basket. Uh, I'm kind of looking more towards, and I, I tell people this is like I'm looking more at the trade market uh, this off season than I am the free agency, just because of all the the contract extensions we've seen with Giannis, et cetera, and the the free agency and the players available kind of dwindled down as the season progressed. So I'm kind of looking at the trade market as somewhere where we can thrive. And not necessarily free agency because I feel like Kawhi Leonard will stay, uh, and that's just my prediction. But yeah, I'm, I'm more I'm more likely looking at the trade market in terms of what we can do. The problem is just like, do we have? Can we make an attractive package? Because like you you even look at like Tyler Hero and he's probably our most attractive asset, but he went down this season from the bubble. Uh, it was really up and down. So like, do we do we make that uh, the most attractive pack? package when like I think Philadelphia probably has the most attractive package even though Ben Simmons is not really the the asset that like we all thought he was going to be I mean his his value declined over these playoffs for sure but yeah it's just it it just all comes down to that whether or not like we can entice these teams to make those moves and and uh you know entice some of of our young guys because I don't know a lot of the guys didn't really hit their strides this season I mean, at the end of the day, like like I said beforehand, the, the main thing for me is that the way I look at it is I view it as cap space, circumstance, and then everything else that comes in between. Now, of course, the tricky stuff that comes into it before anything is just the fact that, um, you know, you're looking at the trade market, but the big thing is you guys have a lot of a lot of decisions to make just with your money with your money. You know what I mean? The idea is that if, if you look any of the, if you let a handful of these guys go, um, you're in a circumstance where you're going to have a max cap slot, uh, cap slot, uh, open. Uh, like I said beforehand, uh, Kyle Lowry's the guy that keeps coming to mind. He's the guy that everybody's been talking about since Lord, the, the trade deadline when everything passed and he still wasn't moved. Me and Ryan were tweaking over that because we thought if there was any time to get it done, it was going to be then and nothing happened. We thought it was going to be Philly, mind you, but at the same time, we thought that deal was going to get done. Uh, the fact that Masai Ujiri, uh, his contract ends in like, I think like a week or something like that makes the Raptors an even more questionable situation in terms of what they're going to do moving forward, which makes it sound even more like whether Kyle Lowry will probably end up being able to walk for free. Um, So, I mean, I think that you're right that the trade market is definitely the primary focus because you guys got some stuff. Like, at the end of the day, you guys got stuff to work with in order to move them. The only reason why I mentioned it beforehand, like I said, is because, again, uh, like, the medicals, aspect of it is one of those things that's huge to me because it's one of those things that's huge to Kawhi. um another thing that i think is like 
pretty big. It's just the mere fact that I think that everything Miami provides, I think the Clippers don't have, right? There's a certain pedigree that comes with Miami. There's a certain expectation if you want to go the medical route that Miami has. There's overall just a lot more that they have to provide. I think the bigger thing out of any of of all of this is the actual construction of the team. Uh Kawhi Leonard's not vocal, if y'all like couldn't tell. And um there's nobody on the Clippers that really takes that role that actually has like the gumption to be in that position, right? The most talkative guys are guys who you're not looking at to be your lead options. Guys like Pat Bev, Morris, so on and so forth. But PG kinda, you know, just a hooper. Kawhi Leonard kinda just a hooper. Having a guy like Jimmy Butler is that side dude who can also he's proven this year coming off of his like COVID circumstances he kind of run the point a little bit with the uh, with his ability to facilitate. I think that's going to be huge with the fact that I don't think you guys are bringing Goran Dragic back. I just don't see it happening. Um, so again, you guys' money plus their circumstances with Miami just being organized the way they are and everything else that's been sort of kind of swirling around. I wouldn't be surprised, but at the same time, like you said beforehand, it's it's better to be a little bit more on the pessimistic side because at the end of the day, it's Kawhi Leonard we're talking about. So if you go get acting like a skeptic, dangerous stuff. And uh, my friend Ashton has uh, informed me while on the pod, anything that has a quote from Skip Bayless on, you have to be careful about. So I'm going to take that into consideration as well. Yeah, uh, just to retort uh, kind of the, the points that you were talking about, um, well, the problem is we don't really have draft capital. Uh, we have a, a second. I think the most the the tradable asset that we have uh, in terms of picks is twenty twenty four second. I think that's yeah. the trade. So like it's kind of it's it's not ideal in terms of like I mean Pat Riley said in his press conference that like we were gonna find a way to get a guy this year in the draft, which again. I mean, we're talking about Pat Riley, Riley in the heat here. So even if, like, we don't go out and get, like, a first-round, second-rounder, we can look at those undrafted guys and say, let's develop these guys, put them in the G League, develop them, you know, bring them up to the roster, call them up, whatever. But um, I think, like, the main point is, as far as, like, because I do look at the trade market, but, like, Pat Riley's not going to do something unless he's certain. And I think it comes down a lot to part of the reason, like, we have, like, heat culture and part of the reason we have, like – uh the developmental program and all that stuff that we have and what we built down here is that like we it's a lot of it's situational because like a lot of the, the trades that he's done, he sent out Josh Richardson, who we were super high on in a signing trade and look where he is now. He's with Dallas and he really took, I mean, that could be how they're using him and whatnot, but also like, I, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is, how they're using him and how like Philly used him, whatever. Uh, you look at, like, Justice Winslow, and that's the trade in which we got Jay Crowder, who, like, was an overlooked asset in that trade. So a lot of it's, like, situational. Like, we're putting guys in, in a position to, to win basketball games and to get better. And when you move on from those guys, like, they can uh, they can depreciate in their value. So that's that's kind of a lot of what it has to do with as far as, like, us, like, making these moves and, and he'll be pretty selective in the process. It's always it's always trusting Pat Riley. And I think it's interesting, the Kawhi to Miami scenario that could possibly happen. It makes sense. I do think that there's a chance it will happen. But there has to be a lot of convincing done 
from the Miami Heat to really bring Kawhi Leonard in? Because it seems like this is a great situation for Kawhi to be in in Los Angeles, considering your team just made the Western Conference Finals without you. So I think there's that to consider. I think there's a lot of potential with Kawhi in Miami. Of course, with Miami being the premier destination for a lot of free agents, and then also having guys like Jimmy Butler there, having guys like Bam Adebayo there, two great players at their position. So I think that's another enticing thing for Kawhi Leonard, but this is something we'll definitely keep our eyes out on in free agency. But let's talk about these two series. Let's start with the Clippers and the Suns that ended last night with the Suns winning game six. But let's start by talking about the Los Angeles Clippers because Ty Lue led the Clippers on a phenomenal playoff run this year. Jake, I will start with you. How much credit are we giving Ty Lue in this series? I think you give him as much as you need to because the guy, like I said before, adjustments uh, from going to, you know, whatever it may have been. And this is, you know, a personnel thing where you have like the small ball uh, with Batum out there. They they started to um, go with like, uh, three guards with Reggie Jackson, Pat Bev, and Terrence Mann uh, in the front court, uh, that being Terrence Mann in the front court. But, like, seeing the, uh, you know, what he was given and, and the, the adjustments that he made, uh, throwing in DeMarcus Cousins when, you know, Dario Sarge was out there and putting him uh, in sort of that mismatch, at least from a physical aspect, like, that was huge. Uh and, you know, it all goes back to, to like, even the Mavs series with put it, putting Batum in there, and that, that kind of, like, flipped the switch. They were down 20 at that point in game three, put him in and flipped the switch in terms of that series. Like, it, it, it turned over completely. So, like, just seeing, like, the uh, – especially when you go uh, as a reputation uh, team, uh, like last year where it was, like, Oh, we're, we're, we're choking leads. We're not uh, strong enough to withstand the runs of these other teams. And now you're labeled as a team in which you're the comeback kings and you, and you're the team that, that everyone has slept on since Kawhi went out. Uh, so although they got knocked out, uh, for, uh, for Ty Lue to really just show that, look, it wasn't all LeBron in Cleveland. Now we got a team in which the Clippers here where I just turned around. And made these guys believe in one another and, and play together. So uh, I think a lot of credit goes to him. Jalen, we teased this earlier with Ty Lue and Doc Rivers, and this is a very interesting situation. Ty Lue did something that Doc Rivers couldn't do in almost 10 years in Los Angeles take them to the Western Conference Finals. Does this completely undermine Doc Rivers' time as a coach? in Los Angeles because Ty Lue did something that he couldn't do? Or are you more impressed with the fact that Ty Lue did something of this caliber without LeBron? Um, I think it's more about Ty than it is diminishing what Doc did. And I think it's just because with Doc, there were circumstances beyond what he could control. If you listen to a lot of what he spoke on in terms of those old teams, and he did um, an interview on the All Smoke podcast with uh, 
Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, where they talked about that a lot more in depth. And it was a lot of locker room clashing stuff that like at the end of the day, bro, you can't as a coach, you can keep egos in check on the floor and get guys to play their potential. But you can't control internal beefs. You can, I mean, at the end of the day, that's people versus people. And you can only do so much. You also can't control injuries. If you remember, a lot of his tenure there was a lot of the CP3 gets injured on XYZ type of circumstance. Name this injury, CP got it. Name this injury, Blake got it. You know, name this circumstance Uh in terms of whether it was, you know, running into San Antonio, running into... um I mean, Lord, I mean, even the circumstances where they just had to deal with a lot of like interesting teams like OKC and things like that back, you know, the KD Westbrook, OKC Thunder and stuff like that. Sometimes it's about time and place, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, you know what I mean? I I think even in these circumstances, this playoff, you can try to credit, you know, Ty Lue as much as you want to, but this is the most bipolar team in the entire postseason. This is a team that literally had you raising them up one day and thinking, dang, they could probably win this whole thing with the way these the injuries are lying to the next day. People, like Jake said beforehand, shipping them on Twitter, literally shipping them off. So I think the biggest thing is that Ty Lue did something interesting that really uh, a lot of people that are like casuals don't pay attention to. And it's he actually coached. Right. Like, I think there's this aspect that like. Because everybody, we're in a 2K generation, as long as you throw the best players on the floor and have them play at an optimal level, the best player that you have available onto the floor and they play at an optimal level, you should be able to be competitive or play or play to the point of being able to win a championship, right? But under his circumstances, it wasn't that simplistic. It just wasn't. There were certain lineup adjustments that he had to make. There were guys like Terrence Mann that had to play above their pay grade. That boy's going to end up seeing something real good soon from a payment standpoint. Reggie Jackson just got himself paid. That's a fact. That is a fact. Paul George is starting to look a lot less like a mistake in terms of the idea of them doing an extension on him very early in the season. He locked himself up. He's looking pretty smart for it. I mean, a lot of the stuff that they were able to do under the circumstances they were under. I mean, Jake, even you mentioned the stuff about Marcus Morris. And, I mean, he was injured for most of the series. And they still were able to play around that. Vika Zubac ended up playing a bigger role in this Sun series than I thought he was going to before he got injured. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to lead on Boogie Cousins, who, again, once upon a time was like a top three center. But, Lord, after two ACLs, you asking the man to drop 15 and I think it was like 15 points, like 11 minutes or something like that. Something nuts like that. But, I mean, you can't ask him to do that consistently. I think Ty Lue just coached his ass off. Like, I think that's the best way to really describe it. When you talk about Doc, right, I think the biggest indictment against Doc that hurts his case, if you're looking at it just tit for tat is, and we talked about it earlier, Ryan, was look at the personnel on paper that he had. They had some crazy teams. They had some, like, really crazy. You go back into, like, the 2K chamber, press R2 real quick and get some of them older teams. Some of them old OG Clippers teams was nuts. I mean, I think there was a there was a, a Chauncey Billups backup year for him. I think there was an Eric Bledsoe year where I mean he was a guy that was pretty solid coming off of Phoenix. Like like if you just kind of go down the line, like they had some hoopers once upon a time. And so to know that they that they never really met their optimal level with the kind of talent that ran through L.A. I mean, shoot, even I mean, this was back nine, but like they even had a little stint with Paul Pierce hitting buckets like 
You know what I mean? Like this is this if you really put name to face in terms of what Doc had come through that roster while he was there, you're like, they should have won a chip. And that's the one thing that kind of gets held against him that I think is kind of just a toughie when you look at the other underlining circumstances. So I'm gonna put it more on. I'm, I'm gonna get Tyloo his flowers. I think that's the better route to go. I think it's better to uplift a guy who's doing his job at a at a at a superb top five level as opposed to diminishing a guy who might have played uh, a little bit you know below the belt. I think Doc's still a good coach. I just think that he's been dealt some some tough hands. That might be the honest truth because he has been dealt a lot of bad hands, a lot of blown 3-1 leads, especially going back to his time with the Magic where they had a chance to upset the number one seed Detroit Pistons in 2003. And then you look at the Clippers, another a lot of blown 3-1 leads, injuries, other off-the-court circumstances. So I think the bad hand may be the best argument for Doc Rivers because he's He's a great coach, and he's proven that he can win a championship, especially with the Celtics. I just think that the bad hand has been the narrative for him ever since that championship. But let's talk about another player who's been who's been scrutinized, to say the least, Paul George. And he was another factor in getting the Clippers this far in the playoffs. And he's arguably one of the most scrutinized players in the NBA. So, Jake, I'll start with you. Does Paul George deserve to be scrutinized? No, he doesn't because he was dealt a hand uh, to play without his uh, his all-star superstar um, forward next to him. I think that if you look at uh, the way he bounced back, we talked about this earlier from, from night one. I mean, he was getting, uh, you know, the PG revenge uh, type memo there and then, you know, again, every time, you know, they want to, you know, they just want to, or, you know, the media just wants to criticize him for having a bad game. You know, you have a bad game every once in a while. I mean, again, if you hoop, you know that, you know, not every day is going to be your best day, right? And not every day is going to be a good day either. So, uh, again, like, even like this past game to close out the series, like, they were really like, if you look at the game, they were really trying to make it a point to like, attack him defensively if you're the Phoenix Suns, uh, show multiple bodies, put Craig on him. Um, you know, Bridges is a, is a great defender, and he's really underrated in, in that aspect um, as one of the better uh, perimeter defenders and better one-on-one defenders in the league. Uh, and so if you throw that type of defensive, as Jalen, like, mentioned before, with the, the, the wings that they have, the de- defensive wings that they have, it's hard to kind of combat that. And on top of it, you're looking at a guy like Marcus Morris to score or uh, Boogie Cousins to score. Reggie Jackson was uh, – I saw a metric the other day that he w- he had like 40 catch-and-shoot threes, and he was doing it really efficiently. So uh, the guy was shooting lights out. But when you don't have the personnel around you, um, and, and that meaning like Kawhi, and it's more than just Kawhi. It's Zubak. It's Ibaka, who missed a lot of the season – um, even prior to the playoffs, like it's hard to to make up for that. And I think Paul George did it to the best of his ability. Uh, he had one game in Utah where they were just like pouring on him, like super uh, rough game from him. Uh, he had the missed free throws in this series with the Suns that could have turned the series. Like, like I think a lot of people don't even realize that like a lot of these games for the Clippers were winnable and it came down to literally like a DeAndre Aiden lob. It came down to free throws and like 
again, there's for you to be in a lot of the games has to be because you're a star player. Uh, and I think that, look, I mean, they lost the series four games to two. Um, but in reality, like, it was a lot closer than what people think. And that, that has a lot to do with what Paul George was able to do in, in, a, in a revenge tour. I think it's safe to say that Paul George had a pretty phenomenal playoff run. I think it was shades of what he did in Oklahoma City. And then I would also say it's shades of what he did in Indiana when he was on those great Indiana teams as well. So I think it's safe to say that Paul George is back. But, Jalen, I want to get your perspective on this because Paul George gave the media a reason to criticize him with those two missed free throws in Game 2, although I don't think it was well-deserved because you have to look outside of that game instead of just looking at one moment. How do you feel about Paul George overall in his Clippers tenure, and do you believe that he deserves to be criticized? I was thinking about this from the minute you asked the question about like which route to go, because I think there's a lot of different ways that you can break this down. Okay, this is how I'm going to look at it. You guys can retort how you want to, but this is how I'm going to approach it. If your viewpoint of Paul George is who he was in Indiana, yes. Paul George is not a number one guy. I don't think he's the number one on your team. I don't think he's a guy that's going to lead your team to a, to a championship. I think that his time in Indiana with the guys around him, David West, Roy Hibbert, Danny Granger, so on and so forth, in a circumstance where he was battling against the Miami Heat, when he was when he had chances to take down juggernauts like those at a more, you know, optimal time for him in terms of his health and everything else under the sun, full bag, full athleticism, the whole nine, then... If you compare that to his current circumstances, I would say no. If your viewpoint of Paul George, especially over the last three to four years in particular, was that Paul George could hands down be the best second option or at least a top five second option in the NBA, then he is who you thought he was to kind of to to kind of put it, you know, bluntly, like put it bluntly, like. I genuinely believed for the for uh, uh, the at least the last three to four years that if you put Paul George as your secondary option as a guy next to another dominant offensive, maybe even two way offensive or two way personality in terms of uh, two way play on the floor, he could easily be hands down a top two, top three Robin in the NBA. And I think he played up to that to that standard because when you lost basically batman right he was able to keep the ship stir uh to keep the ship steady and really put them in a situation where they arguably could have won this series i think jake like made a really good point in terms of talking about the circumstances of this series if we go back and look at it i think the the last game was probably the only one. The closeout game is probably the only one we can say wasn't like in convincing fashion, right? I mean, outside of game six, I mean, Clippers won game five. Game four, I think, was winnable. Game three, they took. Game two was the infamous DeAndre Ayton lob. And I think that even game one was one of those games that kind of went tit for tat for a while. 
Um, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about certain calls that were or weren't made throughout this series as well. I'm not going to get into playing Twitter ref. That's not my that's not my occupation. But at the end of the day, I think that there's a lot of circumstances you can look at where you can say that if you thought PG was going to be if you thought PG is or if you think PG is one of the top three Robins in the NBA, he he proved you right. And I think that that's 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 why. Why would you scrutinize him for? him showing you that he's exactly who you thought he was so i think pg's in a weird circumstance because at the end of the day it's based on how you view him it's based on what you felt like he what you feel or felt like he is as an nba player a lot of the points that you made i agree with because if you look at his time in indiana he did prove and show flashes that he could be a number one option but ultimately he's better as the second option and he's proving that with the Los Angeles Clippers, and he proved that with the Oklahoma City Thunder, even when he was putting up that MVP caliber season alongside Russell Westbrook and what he was able to do with those triple doubles. But I think when you look at the second options and how you rank them in the NBA, Paul George is a top two, top three second option. I would say even top 10, top 15 player in the in the NBA. So... I think that the criticism isn't isn't deserved. I don't think that it should happen. I was a victim of that, especially with what I saw last year, because I was I was quite angry with what I saw last year, especially in Game Seven against the Denver Nuggets in that series. But overall, we look at Paul George as a player, and he's a very very good basketball player, and he deserves to be to be recognized for what he did in this series, considering that. He led a team that, like we mentioned earlier, never been to the Western Conference Finals ever. So I will give him the credit where credit is due. Let's switch to the Phoenix Suns. Jake, I'll start with you. What was the key to the Suns' victory last night against the Clippers? Man, do I have to say it? It's Chris (laughs) Paul, man. 31 points in the second half after having, what, 10 in the first half? I, I think, like, when you look at how they they were able to pull that victory out, it goes to CP3. It goes to, shoot, Torrey Craig I thought had a pretty good game. Like, on the glass, defensively, I thought not, not enough people pointed that out considering, like, Cam Johnson was, like, uh, one of those dudes for them that showed up. He was out yesterday. Uh, DeAndre Ayton came back to a form of himself after not – playing that great, and, and that's because, like, the Suns weren't really utilizing him well in the, in the, in the previous game before last night. But, uh, yeah, I, I just got to give my flowers to CP3 because, honestly, like, I think not enough people are, like, giving him credit. And I even heard, like, Mark Jackson, I don't know if you guys were paying attention to this, but, like, he brought up a really good point. Like, the all-time, like, point guards or uh, guys that lead uh, – their teams to to win the NBA Finals. Like, this is up there just by him, like, leading them to the NBA Finals because this team was a poverty of a franchise for, like, 10 years. And, yeah, they had Devin Booker. Yeah, they had DeAndre Ayton. But, like, this is a huge accomplishment in itself for leading a team like this to the NBA Finals when no one thought they were going to get this far. I thought they were middle-of-the-pack team at best. And then to see, like, the, the season that they had, and the development of these players, like, he's impacted them, like, they're young guys on, on so many different lo- different levels. Like, I didn't think Devin Booker 
DeAndre Aiden would be this good in the playoffs. And seeing like when he's, even when he's not off the court, when he had that shoulder stuff, not playing 100% in the Lakers series, the COVID stuff in between like the Nuggets and, and, um, you know, for parts of the, uh, this past series against the Clippers, uh, you start, you see, you, you still see his impact on this team, even when CP3 is not there, like when he's not on the floor. Uh, and so I think that's really key to point out. I mean, I had them losing against the Lakers in the first round, and damn, was I dead wrong. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that them, them seeing, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel here and, and hopefully getting CP3 his first ring, it, it, you got to give the credits to like Monty Williams and James Jones, like the job that they've done. It's, it's, it's remarkable. So yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on the Suns. I just think they've, they've been a team to look out for and, and definitely down the stretch here. We'll see if they can pull it off. Jalen, let's talk a little bit about Chris Paul. Phenomenal point guard, been in the league for 16 years. The Suns are going to the finals for the first time since 1993 with a player that's making his first finals appearance in his career. If Chris Paul is able to get a ring, what does this do for his legacy? Oh, man. Okay, so we had this conversation on uh, – shout out to the Hear Me Out podcast. We had had a, a brief conversation about this on one of their live streams, I think like a week or two ago during NBA Watch Along, about where would he rank and – uh, rank as a, a as a point guard overall throughout NBA history. I think, I mean, it gets tricky. There's a lot of people that argue that he's not even top ten historically right now. I think that's interesting. Um, I'd have to really do my research, but me personally, being a guy who's you know been in the NBA uh sphere as a like a legit fan for probably like the last like ten years flat. Um, I would argue that he's like already like a top five, top six guy. Um, you look at some of the guys who come into that, into that fray though, right? Oscar Robertson, uh, Oscar Robertson is a guy who's known for the triple double thing. Uh, Russell Westbrook made that so mainstream to this point that you kind of wonder how significant that looks to a certain extent now. Um, AI obviously is another one of those guys that comes to, uh, to, to mind. But, you know, his one chance was against the, the big boy Lakers squad, and he wasn't able to get it done. He was able to get a game off them, but uh, unfortunately wasn't able to close that deal. I think that a chip, because, right, when you look at when you look historically five years from now, you're not going to look at CP3 and let them worry about how he got it. You're going you're gonna to look at the fact that he has a ring on his resume, right, obviously. So I think that what it does for him is it solidifies him as a top five point guard in, in the NBA, as, like historically. Um, I legitimately feel like he's a guy who for the longest time kind of got the, the, the injury bug was something we, we factored in to every season to start the season with CP and it made it where guys, uh, People, analysts, fans were writing CP off and thought he was a guy who was done a minute ago. Um, I think that his age, I think that his age, him doing what he's doing is gonna is gonna test uh uh, spe- uh get past the uh, test of time. And I think the the circumstances of looking at his overall resume is also going to uh stand the test of time as well so i think my biggest thing with cp is i think if you didn't have him as a top five guy before he gets a ring i think 
he'll have a legitimate argument for that. If you didn't think it was a Hall of Famer before, you're already smoking something. So that's like a whole separate, yeah, that's a separate worry about your health. But, um, I don't know, man. I think outside of the fact that it solidifies him as a top five player at his position, I don't think it does anything else for me looking at CP because I thought he was the truth beforehand. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about him before this run, but I thought he was the truth way prior. Yeah, just about CP3 real quick. Um, it's crazy to think about how like injuries have kind of hindered like his playoff career and just like some sort of bad luck per se, but you know, it's crazy now like looking at like how they've been the healthiest team and seeing like that kind of like, you know, obviously it's sad that like all the injuries had to happen, but like it's kind of like reversed now. Like he's kind of just having the healthiest team now. So it's crazy to see that. And I think it's safe to say that the Chris Paul effect is real and he's really helping out another young team. And it's maybe his best chance now to win a ring. So just real quick rapid fire question coming up. I just want Jake to start here with his X factor for this, for the Suns going into the finals. Yeah. Well, it's tough to say because we don't know who they'll be playing yet, but, and the series is tied. So. It could go either way down the stretch here. Um, I would say, whew, it's tough. I would say Jay Crowder. Because Jay Crowder is a guy in which, and I heard this from someone, it's, it's, uh, you know, when he plays well, they, they usually win. Uh, and he was a guy that, uh, is a three and D guy, uh, can shoot the ball at a high level when he's on, uh, can, you know, defends. It's it's the reason why my favorite team was so successful in the bubble because we could go small and, and he could be that guy that, uh, you know, is sort of like a Swiss Army knife, I guess. And um, in that role, and I think that you know Jay Crowder, if, if he's able to show up like he did in, in this, uh, you know, the, this closeout game six against the uh, the L.A. Clippers, I think he could be pretty, uh, you know, have a monumental impact in this next series in the finals. Just to bring it up. 19 points, 6 of 11 shooting from the field, 5 rebounds for Jay Crowder in Game 6. So he was definitely a vital part of that win for the Phoenix Suns. Jalen, what about you? Because we saw what Jay Crowder did last year with the Miami Heat in the finals, and he has the chance to do the same thing here with the Phoenix Suns as well. Do you believe Jay Crowder is an X-factor in this series, or do you see somebody else being an X-factor for the Suns? I think Jay Crowder fits more of what an X factor is in terms of on any given night, he could give you something that you wouldn't expect. And that would be a circumstance that could potentially lead them to a big dub. I think somebody that'll play a huge role that maybe isn't, doesn't get looked at enough in most matchups is DA. Uh, DeAndre Aiden easily, if there was a most improved play, uh, most improved player award for the postseason, DA's by a long shot, by a long shot. Like it's not even debatable when it comes to how DeAndre Hayden has played in this postseason. I think that regardless, Jake mentioned before, and we don't know who they're going to face. I think regardless of who they face, the big man matchup down low is going to be important because if the Bucks make it, um, if Giannis is healthy, that's DA's responsibility for sure. I mean, I mean, maybe they'll throw Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges at him in order to have like wing defenders on him. But for a strength to strength, uh, protect the basket standpoint, 
It's going to be D.A. down there. If they end up going against Atlanta, his matchup against Clint Capella and John Collins is going to be huge. And I think that he'll actually probably be uh, better suited if he faces a team like Atlanta in terms of his physicality under the basket. I mean, just the other night, 17 rebounds by himself. He led the team by a long shot uh, in terms of uh, grabbing boards. And I think he led the game in grabbing boards by just about a, a good amount as well. So I think that DeAndre Ayton is a guy who's been discussed a lot as like really like, you know, you've been making a, making the most for himself. Uh that twenty eighteen draft class, bro. Ryan, one of these off season episodes we have, we're gonna have to really sit down and talk with the bros about which one of these draft classes really is the, the cream of the crop, because there's the Kobe one, there's the LeBron D. Wade, Chris Bosch, uh, you know, group up, there's there's this twenty eighteen one. I mean, there's there's a handful of draft classes that we can really look down the line at, and I'm, it's starting to really be arguable. Da said it himself that he thinks that the 2018 draft class is the best draft class of all time. Um, I think it's really something that's starting to come into uh, a real debate. You know, most people kind of just say that, but if you really look at the trajectory that some of these guys have been on in a three-year span. Man, I think that's the truth. I think that might be something worth really debating. So um, I think it's DeAndre Ayton, bro. I think regardless of who they face, he's going to play a big role in the series because the guard play is there. The guard play is significant, especially if they face Atlanta, the the, the Trey versus CP or, you know, even just the CP versus name that guard on Atlanta, the D book versus name that guard on Atlanta. I think that one's already sealed and dealed. But in terms of the big man matchup, you know, that's going to be huge. And then, like I said, when it comes to Milwaukee, if they got Giannis, you need D.A. to play big underneath the basket. And if they don't have him, <laughs> that makes him even more dangerous because who's going to hang with him? I don't trust Brooke Lopez to do it. So I think that's a circumstance where D.A. gets to eat. So I think regardless, he's going to be huge. Yeah, I wanted to say as far as DeAndre Aiden goes, it's a good point. Um, I think, like, he's definitely going to have to step up, even considering, like, you look at – um like the series in which they've played, especially if they play the Bucks, watch out for that matchup with Giannis because he has not really played a really physical center just yet. He had AD that wasn't 100%. Jokic, which he's not that type of physical guy in the paint, um, maybe a little bit more physical in that series than we thought he was going to be. But still, like he's not that type of, of dude. And then, uh, you know, he didn't really have to – face any guy like that because DeMarcus Cousins was out there when Sarge was out there. So, like, I think this is going to be his biggest test if they go up against the Bucks. I'm not really worried about him against the Hawks too much just because he can – he's a versatile defender that you can put out to the three-point line. And I don't think the Hawks have that guy that can, like, punish him in the, in, in the paint uh, like the Bucks can. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think, like, on paper even, like, I, I would take the Suns in that matchup against the Hawks. But – uh, even more so with the Bucks, if Giannis is healthy, like I would watch out for that matchup because I, I I think if Giannis is really on one, I I think he can he can punish uh, Da. And I think it's interesting with that front court matchup because that's going to be the emphasis in this series because when you have somebody who's as great as DeAndre Ayton and how he's been playing in this postseason, and you match him up with somebody like Giannis, who's a very physical guy down low. Clint Capella could be could say the same thing for him as well. This is going to be a challenge for whether or not DeAndre Eaton can hold his own in an NBA final series with two of the most physical bigs in the NBA. But let's talk about the next series 
the Hawks and the Bucks, like we mentioned with Giannis. There's a chance that he may not play game five tonight. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Chris Middleton, and there's also going to be a lot of pressure on Coach Budenholzer to make sure they have a chance to win and possibly make it to the NBA Finals. Jake, I will start with you. Out of the two people that I mentioned, Chris Middleton and Coach Mike Budenholzer, who's under the most pressure in this series if Giannis does not play Game 5 and Game 6? Man, that's a good question. I see Jalen over there. Yeah, that's that's tough, man, you know? Uh, I would say, man, that's tough. Uh, All right, Ryan, stumped me for once. Golly. All right, got me thinking over here now. Uh, uh, I would say I'm leaning more towards Budenholzer, uh, I think, because, I don't know, I, I feel as if, like, Middleton can have that one game where he goes off and, like, you know what you're going to get, I guess, out of Middleton. Um, and you have the supporting cast around him. As far as, like, Budenholzer goes, like, I don't know, with, like, his rotations, he's just been, like, on and off. Like, I think the Nets series, they had some games. I'm not sure about, like, the entirety of the series, but, like, they played, like, six guys. And, like, that's that's a limited rotation for a team that was, like, claimed as, like, the most uh, deep team, the deepest team in the league. And then they're looking at, a, a, you know, playing. And it made no sense to me because it's like you're playing a banged-up Nets team. Like, let's maybe, like, you know, go a little more in-depth with our rotation and, like, try to, like, figure out things. But I think it's Budenholzer because I, I think to even back up my point more, I, I think, like, thinking about it, uh, the reputation at stake here and his job's on the line. So I think, like, he has to perform – at a level in which, uh, you know, we haven't seen Boonholzer be too much. I mean, they didn't, they didn't really have to adjust against the Heat, uh, and that kind of led into the Nets series where they had injuries. He wasn't having to adjust too much. And now, you know, they're going up against the Hawks, which who knows in this series, uh, what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely like, he's been on the hot seat for, the entirety entirety of like this season in the NBA playoffs and he's got to come to work and show up. Kalen, I've been very critical of Coach Budenholzer in this playoffs and how if he doesn't make the finals, there's a chance that he could be on the hot seat. Are you leaning toward Chris Middleton or are you sticking with Coach Budenholzer? So like <laughs> I think that everything Jake said made sense. Maybe like a week ago, right? Like I think a week ago coming into this series with things looking kind of dicey, especially with like Atlanta, you know, winning game one and everything. I think you would have been right, but Giannis goes down. If he misses the rest of the series and Trey Young comes back, is that a get out of jail free card? Ryan, me and you have discussed, oh, if Budenholzer's on the hot seat, does Rick Carlisle go there? He's with Indiana now. So who's a better coach on the market that you're looking at in terms of getting them over the hump? So is is now Bud playing with house money and low expectations if Giannis is out? Because the idea is that despite the fact that Chris Middleton has made multiple All-Stars, nobody outside of Kendrick Perkins respects him to that level. So, like, 
I think, like, based on that, I th- okay, so this is how I'm going to put it. I think NBA Twitter will destroy Budenholzer if he loses the series. I think that's without being said. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be the fall guy because he's been the fall guy anytime the Bucks lose, it's Bud's fault. It's just how. <laughs> we have this new Twitter game of basically figuring out how to point the blame at Bud by all means necessary. So I think that'll be – NBA Twitter will deem it his fault. Chris Middleton is going to be the number one. This goes back to what I said about PG. Whatever you expected out of PG, I think has to, to a certain extent, be your expectation of Chris Middleton. Considering the circumstances, especially with the fact that Atlanta, I would argue, is not as talented depth-wise as the Suns are. Now, you could argue that Chris Middleton might not be as talented as PG is, and that's like a whole separate conversation that you can have, obviously, as well. But if it's Chris Middleton has to take down an Atlanta Hawks team alongside Drew Holiday and others, then I think there's the circumstance that this is all going to come down to whether or not Trey Young plays. I think if it's tit for tat, both superstars lose. Chris Middleton has to win it. Chris Middleton is arguably the best player on the floor, like, if that's the case, I, I, I think that's like I, I'm with Atlanta and I still feel like that's a safe, a safe bet to make is that I think Chris Middleton is arguably like the best player left on the floor. If Giannis and Trey are gone, I think Drew Drew Holiday falls into a top three in that category if we're having that discussion. So if you still have two of the top three players in the series. Well, they always say that like talents, talent supposed to, you know, take you to the chip. So in that case, this would be a circumstance where it was still leaning in favor of the Bucks. So with all the like weird get out of free, get out of jail free cards that Bud has, along with the fact that I think Chris Middleton is the most talented player left if Trey doesn't come back, optimal words being if, then I think it might be on Chris Middleton. That because remember, remember the other thing is him and Drew Holiday got big paid. Big paid. I know nobody likes counting checks, but you talk about putting some serious talent around Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is the reason why you pay those guys max level money is to come up big when guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo aren't around or just to come up big to help Giannis Antetokounmpo propel himself to where people, I guess, expect him to be, which is a two time MVP sniffing the finals, if not, you know, getting him getting his way in. So. I'm going to go with Chris, but that's such a default answer. Ryan, you got me on that one. I'm not going to lie. Because Bud, Bud has been like a talking point all postseason for me and you. But health is playing a huge factor in this series. And this was one of the few series we were not worried about coming in when it came to who's going to, who is and isn't going to be on the floor. The Suns. Clippers series, we knew Kawhi was out. We knew that CP3 was dealing with his COVID thing coming in. With Atlanta, Milwaukee, they were good to go. The only person people we were worried about was, I guess, maybe DeAndre Hunter, who they didn't have the for the majority of the postseason anyway. So uh, that's tough. That's tough. So you mentioned Kendrick Perkins earlier, and I want to bring up something that Kendrick Perkins said, this which is, is why I asked this question about who's under the most pressure, Chris Milton or Mike Boonholzer. If you don't know, or if you haven't watched the first take at all, or don't follow Kendra Perkins on Twitter, 
He's been bringing up this idea that Chris Middleton is the Batman of the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis is the Robin of this team. Jake, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but this has been something I've seen throughout First Take and throughout Twitter. So I'll start with Jake on this one. If Giannis were healthy in this scenario, would there be any truth to that? Uh, no. I mean, he's not like a – I wouldn't say he's a true Robin because, like, he's been mad and consistent. I mean, these, these whole playoffs, I mean, you could date back to the Nets series, the Heat series, um, and I, I just feel as if it's gotten progressively worse um, in terms of, like, when he's showing up. Um, and so on paper, I guess, but if you really look at the games, I don't really think he's a true Robin where it's like, look, give the guy the basketball and, like, we're going to make it work. I mean, it happens sometimes, but more times than not, it doesn't really. Um, I had something to say as far as, like, the the previous question. Uh, I think, like, if Trey Young comes back, it's even more of a uh, – it's even more pressure on Mike Boonholzer because of the fact that Giannis is more of the guy where we're kind of like questioning his availability, whereas Trey might come back. And if that's the case, then you don't have Giannis in a series in which like Brooke Lopez hasn't really shown that he can keep up with Trey and Bobby Portis. Are we going to rely on him? Like there's these question marks where it's like, I, I don't know, like, it has to come down to adjustments and how much you're willing to to, to play Brook Lopez, especially in, in the minutes you're giving to him, um, because uh, you know Trey just can't have a field day like he did in Game One. Like it's it's really hard to and and part of the solution of that was to play Giannis at the five, and now you can't really do that. So it comes down to even more pressure on uh, the uh, the master of it all and, and Boonholzer. So. Jalen, same question. I know you've you've seen this tweet. I know you've heard about this tweet. Is there any truth to it? No. I, I almost wrote about this, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, <laughs> because I just, I don't know. I think it's silly. Like, I think the idea, what he's going at. So this is this is interesting because Jake thinks he's not even a Robin what he doesn't even think he's like a really great Robin and Kendrick Perkins argument was that Chris Middleton is Batman. Jake doesn't even think he's Robin. He thinks he's Alfred at best. So, so that's the case. If that's your viewpoint on him, he can't be Batman. Now I will. Here's another thing before I like get all ranty and stuff. I'm going to sit here and admit on the podcast, Batman is my favorite superhero. There's a poster of him somewhere over there. So I'm, when we start throwing Batman out here in the streets, you're going to get a little bit of disrespect um, in return if it's not in, in a positive light. And Chris Middleton is not Batman, bro. I don't want to hear this. The, here's the thing. This is why I think that Bat, I think the Batman tag with Chris Middleton is being thrown out in terms of Kendrick Perkins, Perkins because he is a perimeter player who can create his own shot and is the guy who you can hand the ball to in the closing moments. You're not going to ask a guy in Giannis Antetokounmpo to take a – one down 114 to 117 three-point shot to push you into overtime you're not going to ask him to do an isolation 101 play down two points and you need a three or down one point and you need a, a big time bucket for a two in which you're going to ask Giannis to either drive or go to the basket 
with the potential of being fouled, which is something that we've seen him struggle with. I think the other thing is the mere fact that he struggles with free throw shooting, being Giannis Antetokounmpo, is why Kendrick Perkins thinks that he's not a Robin. I mean, that doesn't think that he's a Batman. Is because that's a huge uh, proponent of being able to close games, and he's not able to step up to the moment of doing so. So I think that this this Chris Middleton being tagged as Batman thing with Kendrick Perkins has more to do with the fact that the game has just per- progressed towards relying on perimeter play, and Chris Middleton is arguably arguably the Bucks' best perimeter player. Now going back to what Jake said beforehand, answering answer back what he said about the whole thing with putting more onus on Bud because of coaching uh, coaching schematics, especially if Trey comes back. You cannot unbarbecue barbecue chicken. If Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez are getting torched by Trey Young, Trey Young on a regular basis, you can't out scheme personnel. If personnel is getting killed by Trey Young, you cannot, as the coach, say, Brooke, play better. And all of a sudden, Brooke is going to become elite perimeter pick and roll defender. You cannot tell Bobby Portis. Double knot your shoes so you do not get dropped by Trey Young. He double knot his shoes and still potentially get dropped by Trey Young. You can't control that aspect of their of the, of the game. So I think the big thing with that is again that goes back to the reason why I was so like stuck with it is because especially if Trey Young comes back, is that his get out of jail free card? Because you because we already have been able to see. Through four games schematically, Trey Young, the guards in general, are eating when Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis are the primary pick and roll defenders. If that's going to be the case of the rest of the series, if we can see it on TV, the guys on TNT are circling it every other game. And then the next day we're hearing everybody podcast about how Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez are getting killed. What else you gonna ask Bud to do besides, uh, I don't know, like the trade for a center <laughs> mid series? Like, there's nothing else that you can really do. So again, that's the other reason why I thought that maybe like he has a get out of jail free card and Trey Young coming back. I feel like only adds on to that. But I mean, Ryan, overall, bro, when it comes to this series in particular, I don't think that this series is indicative of anything less than this NBA Finals is going to be respectable regardless. Um, We're not going to end on this. Obviously, we have a lot more to say, but one of the biggest things that I want to make sure I get out is that this war of attrition thing with the NBA playoffs that we've gone through is just an aspect of the game. Um, I understand that, like, Again, 11 All-Stars going down during a playoff run is like a really terrible number. I understand that this has huge implications for certain things moving down the line. But at the end of the day, the playing field was even Steven for everybody. And injuries have determined the champion just about every single year. Just about every single year. You've either been the most talented team by far when looking at certain teams throughout NBA history, Lakers, Celtics, Golden State in our more recent history, or you survive a injury-riddled season or got injury-riddled matchups that led you to being able to hoist up the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the season. So 
I think that regardless of who comes out of this series, I still think that the NBA Finals is going to be respectable. And I honestly think that regardless of which way it goes, I think that I think the NBA Finals is going to be like entertaining. But that's just my like final like opinions on the series itself, because I think schematically until we figure out what's up with Giannis and Trey overall it's kind of hard to really break down the series outside of maybe i guess ryan you probably want to look at some x factors yeah so i want to point out a couple things real quick i know lou williams we mentioned earlier in the episode had a huge game for 21 points on seven to nine shooting from the field i'll start with jake on this one if trey is unable to go in game five is lou williams the guy for them at point guard uh, I believe he is, just because I, I feel as if he is a guy that's always been a microwave score off the bench. You throw him in there, and I think I mentioned this before about, like, his connection with, like, a Kongwu, the bigs. Uh, it's more than just his isolation scoring. It's the um, the pick-and-roll connection that he has with some of these bigs. Um, the fact that uh, he's been there before, the fact that, uh, Nate McMillan trusts him in this, in these moments and rightfully so. Uh, that all goes to show that, uh, he's the guy at their, at the point guard position that they need to go with. Um, there's really not, I mean, I guess Bogdanovich in sort of a, a playmaking aspect, especially with like the hamstring, maybe he could be that role, but like I, I feel as if Lou Williams is that guy that they need to roll with because, uh, these other guys just facilitate, uh, they they end up better off as as off ball uh, players and Lou Williams is that guy that that needs to feed them those looks so um, I think he's the guy for them. Jalen, one thing that's been a focus throughout the playoffs was the Hawks bench with players mm-hmm. like Lou Williams and now Lou Williams has to take the the starting role in place of Trey Young if Trey is unable to go for Game Five tonight so. How important is the Hawks bench in game four and how important will it be throughout this series considering their ability to help this team get back into games has been noticeable throughout the entire playoffs? I think the bench lineups are going to be huge because I think that at this point they're going to be able to run the Bucks off the floor. The Bucks are not as deep as people keep trying to make them seem like in terms of how deep they go. And if they're missing Giannis, it gets even thinner. If you look at the, just the line that they had the other day, take Giannis out. P.J. Tucker, 27 minutes. Brooke Lopez, 29 minutes. Drew, 38. Chris, 36. Pat Connaughton, 26. Bobby Portis, 21. Bryn Forbes, 14. Everybody else played four minutes except for that boy Jeff Teague, who should never touch earth again in terms of the NBA hardwood, who was only on the floor for two minutes. So once you get past, what's that? The top eight, it gets dark. You take Giannis out of it, they only go seven deep. Um, And that's not saying a lot when Bryn Forbes is not a guy that I trust against any of these guards. Uh, for Atlanta, uh, Pat Connaughton, Matt Streaky, he played 26 minutes, only had three, uh, three points and two rebounds. It's basically like their, I guess their, uh, secondary forward, uh, behind PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's never been an offensive guy to begin with. So, I mean, you look at it 27 points, he had, uh, 27 minutes and he had eight points and two rebounds. 
Brooke is mad streaky. So, I mean, it, from an offensive standpoint, you only have two guys. If you're playing two-on-five basketball offensively and defensively, you have a turnstile defense in terms of either Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez down low. And the fact that whoever Brent Forbes is on, is on you're schematically targeting him. I mean... I mean, I think that the 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 guard, the, just the guard that, let alone the bench depth of the Atlanta Hawks, is going to be able to play pretty huge. I think this is another one where, uh, I mean, you look down the line. I think Lou Williams, of course, is going to play huge. I think the fact that Kevin Herter has really played well throughout these playoffs has been big. I still think that Cam Reddish is going to be huge in this series and and moving forward in general. You have a two way wing like that. Uh, Top 10 pick for a reason, elite guy who could definitely be a really nice catch and shoot three guy in this series and help, help him with that. He's also a guy who's underrated defensively, I think, as well. So I think the depth, I think the depth that Atlanta has with the fact that the Bucks aren't that deep and losing Giannis only is a bigger hit to them makes it where Atlanta should feel, uh, relatively in control in terms of the kind of talent they have despite the fact that like i said earlier you could argue that chris middleton and uh drew holiday are the uh the most talented players left on the floor if trey young doesn't play i was just thinking like defensively like how many pluses there are for the hawks like if you really look at it in terms of like like bogdanovich i thought the other night had a good defense he had a lot of um a lot of deflections, a lot of steals. The other night, Cam Reddish, same thing with not playing a lot. Uh, since February, came in, gave him good minutes defensively. Um, you have a guy in Kevin Herter who's a good two-way guard. Uh, I like his game. Uh, a Kongu coming in and playing great minutes on Giannis. Um, you have Capella, who's one of the, the better rim protectors in our league. Uh, and I think there's, like, a good amount of balance in terms of, like, offense and defense where you can really make a statement um, like they did in game one. And a lot of that was because of Trey, but uh, I see as if, um, you know, not having Giannis there, it's, it's really going to uh, really amp it up for the, for the Hawks to really make some runs um, without having Giannis there. And then off, uh, on the, uh, on the defensive end, not having a guy like Giannis to, uh, spread the floor with his drives and kick out the shooters. I think it's like it's their their bread and butter not to have that. Uh it's really gonna spark uh the Hawks to to come out there and play hard and get a win. I think it'll be interesting to see who from the Hawks on their bench will step up considering that Kevin Herter was a guy in the first series against the Knicks who was seeing more time on the bench and it was halfway through the Sixers series that he saw time as a starter. Now that Trey's down, Lou Williams has had to step up in that point, in that point guard role. So I think the big, the, the player that will have to be the most effective coming off the bench is Danilo Gallinari, who's a sharpshooter from three, and he's proven to give you 15 to 20 points coming off the bench. So I think that's going to be very interesting, not only in tonight's game in game five, but the rest of the series as well. That is it for this episode. And I just want to give Jake the floor to close out the episode to just Talk about his podcast a little bit and where he where we can find the Around the League podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me having me on. It was a great discussion uh, and had some fun with this. So, uh, if you guys want to check us out, uh, our most active platforms. I'm not going to name all of them because some of them like die out and it's 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 not worth it for me to get into it. 
Uh, Instagram at underscore around the league underscore. If you guys want to follow us on there, Twitter uh, at underscore ATL podcast underscore. Uh, I don't know why there's underscores in these, but whatever. Uh, it's kind of ugly, but uh, regardless, uh, yeah, you guys can check us out. Uh, I'm sure you guys are on Apple Pods, Spotify, same with us, uh, Anchor app. Uh, that's definitely, you know, where you want to get your pods started for anyone out there listening. The Anchor app is cool. Uh, that's how we got uh, our our start on there. So, but yeah, it's been fun, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, Jake. Hopefully we can have you back on in the future. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.